0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode from a Lancashire lass with me, Lucy Baxter, as featured on BBC Radio 4 Extras podcast hour, BBC Radio Manchester and also now BBC Radio Lancashire. Joining me today is Dave Cottrell, a mindset coach who has set up the business Mindset by Dave. We are going to be talking about why you set up the business and how it can help people. Um, so welcome to the podcast, Dave. How are you today?
1: Yeah, I'm doing really good. Thanks, Lucy. How about you?
0: I'm good, thank you. So take me back to when you were younger and sort of your, your childhood. Were you like um, always interested in, in the mind and the way we think and things like that?
1: I was sort of forced into it via uh, the fact that I have type two bipolar disorder. So I was diagnosed at 14. I first started struggling around about 12 uh, and then I was diagnosed at 14. So I wouldn't say, I would say I didn't take enough of an interest in the mind back then because Um, bear in mind that me at 14 is 1996 and so the what was available information wise the what I didn't have the internet you know I lived in a tiny little terraced house in Amfield, and the internet had only just sort of started appearing here and there so all of my information on it was what was given to me by my doctor which was very very limited but I was always kind of interested in like psychological dramas and when um when Darren Brown sort of came out and started doing tricks of the mind and stuff like that i was always interested in how kind of the mind can be influenced in those type of ways but it wasn't until way later on that i became interested in, in a in a professional sense it was um i didn't even start looking after my own mental health until probably 14 years after that you know it was my mm. late 20s that i finally started to um to look after my own mental health having just Left it being um, a roller coaster. Well, it's still a roller coaster now, but this time it's a roller coaster that I've got a certain degree of control over. But yeah, that was um, that was what kind of got my initial interest was self exploration, really.
0: And for people who might not know, if you would be so kind as to explain what bipolar? Did you say bipolar two?
1: Is? Uh, I, I, I yeah, I, 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 it's I have bipolar two. So bipolar two. Uh, bipolar disorder generally i actually only found this out recently is that bipolar one doesn't actually even need depression in order for it to be classified it's more about the mania but um what people generally know about it was called manic depression when i was a when i was diagnosed with it and that was kind of led to you're either in mania or you're in depression and even bipolar suggests that it suggests that you exist at one of these two completely and utterly polar opposite states and when in reality I would say you just you have access to those states and you may find yourself in those states substantially more often than anybody else. Um but that's not all there is to it, you know. So for me, it was um mania is essentially a period of an elevated mood. Type two bipolar has what's called hypermania, which is it's a more generally speaking it's a safer version of mania it's you are very very elevated um if you've ever seen if you've ever been in the presence of someone on speed like they're talking very very fast they're talking their thoughts are racing all over the place their their risk taking has gone up you know has gone up that can be what mania looks like i have to be careful at the top as well as at the bottom. Uh, and then depression, obviously, I think most of us are all a lot more familiar with depression. That that is obviously sustained periods of intense sadness uh, combined with low mood, combined with low impact or low, low desire to do anything. Um, with bipolar one thing that people misconstrue is the fact that well i had my most recent depressive episode only last week it went it started at roughly 3 p.m on tuesday and then it ended at 20 to 11 on friday night it, it's and that seems quite short for some people because when people think of a major depressive episode it's like they can be for months at a time and some of mine have been for that length of time however there's no kind of guarantee how long it's going to last and um a lot of people think if I can get it, get over it. You know, air quotes for everyone who's listening. I'm doing the, I'm doing the the inverted commas in the air. Um, get over it, because obviously that type of language isn't very helpful. But it does appear that sometimes a person gets over it in a short space of time, which can lead to a bit of stigma and a bit of misunderstanding that it's not serious. Which um, I have no idea how long a storm's going to last for a minute, and they feel extremely serious to me. And even a one day storm can be just as serious to me was like a 10 week one I think the longest one I ever had was about six months and um but the shorter ones when you're in them they feel exactly the same
0: mm. and so you initially trained as a personal trainer so you've obviously always had the interest in keeping your body fit how did you go from Keeping your body fit as a PT to sort of wanting to keep the mind fit. Do you see the, the transition thing I did there.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, that that was actually it was that's what a mindset coach is in my eyes. It's so it's basically the the mind, the mental health equivalent of a personal trainer. You know, people say, What makes it different from a therapist? It's like, well, we're not gonna go deep in and to try and re- like relieve childhood trauma or anything like that I'm going to give you exercises and tools in which you can manage the way that you live right now and um, I always recommend if people do have kind of childhood trauma or, or, or poor relationships and things like that underneath everything to go and get additional help um, but I actually again I wouldn't say always I I didn't I neglected my physical health until my mid-20s and um, I had, a, I had the, what I referred to as a quarter-life crisis. What I will say has always been the case is I've always been the type of person to put other people first. And my quarter-life crisis was me rebelling against that. And I think a lot of people can relate to this is when you put everybody else first for a long period of time, at first, it feels it feels really good, you know, because you feel like you're being helpful and people are often quite grateful. But and as a result, more people ask, tend to ask you if they know that you're the friend that everyone can turn to. Then you become that person, and that's who I was for both my friends and my family. But to the detriment of to the detriment of my own needs, really, I found it very very difficult to stick at anything that was for my own personal benefit. So I dabbled with all a lot of different forms of exercise, and the only ones I ever really got good, like good at were when there was a friend involved. So mm-hmm. a friend and I, another friend would play tennis. And we played and I got quite, quite hooked on that Um, with another friend. We went rock climbing and obviously you can't do that on your, well, you can do certain forms of it on your own, but you can't do the way we were doing it on your own. So he needed me, I needed him. And it was like, it worked out a lot better. And um, it was only when I had this quarter life crisis and it was essentially, you know, (laughs) screw everybody. I'm looking after me for about six months not that that was the way to do it. It wasn't. I, I became quite selfish for a good, good period of time. But um but I I started really getting hooked on the gym myself. And now to this point now, like, you know, exercises are non-negotiable. You know, this morning mm-hmm. when I actually messaged you to ask if we were videoing today or not was me determining how long I could stay at the gym because whether I needed time to get home and have a shower and do my hair before appearing on camera. But um it was me <laughs> kind of figuring out how long I had at the gym this morning. But Once I got into the gym, uh, I was working as as a sound engineer at the time. I I ran my own recording studio, which just wasn't working out for me. And I needed, i had been in my own, i had been sort of my own boss and I'd been doing, doing a career in an area that I love, which was music for like 10 years at this point. So I needed to change to something that I loved as much. And the only thing I loved as much was being in the gym. Now that really reinvigorated that whole, desire to help other people for me and that was probably my longest period of ever really solid like mental health without a depressive episode was in that was on that first couple of years of being a PT Mm -hmm.
0: um
1: in terms of what the what that did for the mind I realized that I never got into the gym or exercise as a way to improve my mental health but my mental health improved massively because of it
0: why is that
1: And there's a lot, there's a lot of different reasons. I mean, you, you can, you can, there's about a million blogs on this that'll speculate about it. And this, we've, we've probably heard the words endorphins get thrown around a lot, which does exercise release and releases endorphins. Um, I, I put it down to a lot of different reasons. One, um, the biggest one that I used to like to do with my clients is they'd look at the weight and say something like, I can't lift that. And I I always knew they could, I would never put anything on a bar that I knew that someone absolutely categorically couldn't lift because what's the point, you know, I just end up leaving them feel disheartened and they go, I can't lift that. And I go, "I, I believe you can. So just give it a go, just give it a go. And I had this little line in my back pocket, like every single time, which was once they'd lifted it and they had the big grin on their face, I'd be like, right now, show me something else you can't do. Mm. And it's like what I think it challenges it. We've got this thing we're called learned helplessness, which is we learn to distrust our own abilities. This is this is the reason why we're really good at giving advice to other people, but really bad at taking it ourselves because we think that we can't, we don't have the power to overcome things, even with the advice. But we think our best friend has the, the power to overcome it because they're stronger or better than us, yeah. whatever it might be. And um, so one thing is it teaches you it's a good that like getting stronger in your body is a great analogy for getting stronger in your mind because it teaches you to move towards the things that are currently outside of your comfort zone as opposed to slowly moving away from those things and letting your comfort zone shrink even further there's nothing better for it, like you know than feeling capable Like I think so many people feel incapable and training. If you're training in something that you enjoy, I'm a big, I'm a big fan when it comes to exercise of finding the right exercise for you. I don't believe that the gym is right for everybody. Um, I don't believe running is right for everybody or sports are right for everybody or solo sports are right for some people. Martial arts are right for others. Um, But I took on martial arts as well, which again, there's a discipline element to that. Um, but it just, it, for the first time in my life, I started believing in my own abilities, you know, so, and I didn't really believe in my own abilities mentally so much, but I had at least, okay, I can overcome this. That workout was really hard, but I got through it and I feel mm-hmm. great for it afterwards. Then obviously there's the endorphins thing. And the final thing I think which really helps is that if you're exercising, I'm a very obsessive person um, and I get really, really hyper-focused on things. So when I was exercising, and my mind wasn't elsewhere. It's one of the biggest problems I have right now in the gym. Is I'm so good at exercise that I can do it without thinking about it now. So I just go in and I can kind of go through the motions. And I have to really check in and be mindful some days because what I'll end up doing is going on my phone in between the sets, scroll, doom scrolling through Twitter, and then you know, like the, know I, that. it's oh, it's 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 bad, it's bad. Uh, oh, but people it's,
0: watching, people watching in the gym would be something I would love to do. So I'd go. Um, I don't have like a gym membership anymore because of COVID but I would go and do like exercises then sort of be on my phone and just like look at people or I'd never go in the weight (laughs) section. That was what I used to call the testosterone zone. It was too... i can't go there without people annoying me so but yeah carry on sorry <laughs> well
1: no that i mean that that's actually another example of like of the empowerment Is i used to train a lot of ladies that would basically not want to be in the testosterone zone really and then mm. um, and feel like they didn't belong in there or whatever it might be and um and once they tried weights out and stuff and actually realized how strong it makes you feel. And then especially if, I mean, cause I'm, as I say, I'm obsessive. So therefore I'm st- I'm a stickler for good form. So I, like I wouldn't like, I wouldn't let my um I wouldn't let my clients lift with bad form you know I, I made sure the form was right to some of them I was I might have been one of the less intense trainers in the room because I was being more technical but what they'd end up doing is they'd end up in the uh, in the weight section and being like I'm actually lifting this way better than the guys are like mm-hmm. I'm my technique's better than what the guys is and sometimes and sometimes as well you know you'd even get the weight above you know I had I had a bunch of girls that I had deadlifting over 100 kilos and um, wow. that yeah and yeah they so, so the, to be fair once you get a, a rat close to that 100 kilo mark the girls get about as competitive as the guys do in terms of like i'm chasing after this yeah the, the girls were a lot better at chasing after what else they had done before whereas the uh the guys were a little bit more like wanting to know what the other clients were lifting or they were mm-hmm. a little bit more competitive with each other whereas the girls were better at being competitive with themselves which i think sorry guys but i think that version is slightly healthier <laughs>
0: I saw something today and it said that comparison, oh, I forgot what Is it the said.
1: thief of joy?
0: Is the thief of joy. And I thought <laughs> that is so true because you can, like, feel, say if you were dressed in a nice outfit or something and you feel really good and then you start looking at, oh, well, they've got nicer hair, they've got this, they've done that. It ruins, like, what yeah. you're doing. So yeah, those guys... 100%. Those guys might be lifting amazingly, but then they're asking what other people are doing, and then they won't feel as good.
1: Absolutely, one hundred percent. And that 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 quote, I think, is originally attributed attributed to Teddy Roosevelt. So it's like, you know, I don't know American history enough to know, but I think that's a, at least a couple of hundred years ago, right? Maybe it's a. It was probably like nineteen thirty or something. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's such a big thing. And actually, the internet there's, you know, great for memes and quotes and stuff for like of of how to combat that. And the the, the best one that I used to see was, um, don't compare yourself to anyone else, just compare yourself to who you were yesterday. And I used to believe that that was a very, very empowering quote. But then I worked with people like myself who have seasons to their mental health you know it's like all work to people I've worked with a lot of um, athletes that have been that have become injured and now that person if they're comparing themselves to who they were yesterday if that person was you know running pbs yesterday and now they're on their couch and they can't move and they're feeling miserable if a person was running their own business on Friday but then had a breakdown and now it's like, it's finding it difficult to get out of bed if they can. So I basically, there's, um, there's an expression in, in cognitive behavioral therapy, which is don't compare unless it's fair, um,
0: like, but like I like.
1: But I like it saying like don't like don't compare unless it's useful to you. If if it's useful to you to compare something, like if you're on that or if you're on that upward trend, and uh, you're doing really well, and you actually you feel a bit stronger today, then actually use comparison. Use it if it's helping you in that situation. But be mindful of the fact that in most situations it won't. And there's also a very big difference between comparison and perspective. You know, I generally find that with comparison, if someone place when they compare to someone who's doing worse than them they'll go oh this person's doing worse than me and they seem to still be happier than I am what's wrong with me or if someone's doing better than them, they tend to go, this person's doing better than me. I'm jealous of that, or I'll never be there. Whereas a person who's already in a good place to start off with can be grateful about the fact that there's people and that they've got, you know, that they're doing well compared to other people in this world. They can look at that and be, it's horrible. I'm so glad that we've got a roof over our head, whatever it might be. Um or they can look at people who are doing better than them and be inspired, and that's the same thing. Is like each of these things, it's how you that's perspective versus comparison. But I generally, I generally find that the problem with that is I call it the shrinking middle class of motivation. Is the fact that the motivator get more motivated by whatever it is around them, like you know. Whereas the unmotivated get more unmotivated by whatever it is around them, and mm-hmm. you know, if you I, if you were to search up hashtag motivation on Instagram. And if, if like, if, and it says something like, yeah, never skip leg day or, you know, never miss a Monday or let's do this. Let's let, you know, I'm going to, you know take life by the beep or whatever it's like and and get on with it if you're feeling kind of like 90% of the way there and thinking actually I just need a little bit of a pick me up just to get me that extra 10% it's going to work on you perfect but if you're sat there struggling to kind of get out of bed and you read something saying never the only work bad workout is a workout that you miss you know or you know whatever the workout that you don't do uh, it'll make you feel worse so yeah, it's um, it's a complicated thing, and that's why um, I talk about mo- I talk about momentum rather than motivation because I think motivations a, motivations like a friend that ghosts you, you know it's like it's there some days and then other days it's not it's not there for weeks and you never see it again it leaves you on the two blue ticks on WhatsApp wondering where your reply is coming from.
0: And so obviously, from the PT, you turned into or well not turned into you became a mind coach a uh, mind yeah. set coach is that right yes and so you've been chatting a bit about things you do terms you've sort of coined things everything that has been really really interesting so if someone wanted to go to you what do they kind of come come to you for as in what might they be struggling with or needing and and how do you help
1: yeah um there's absolutely everything i I wish this question was easy and simple to answer um but basically i know it's not it's not it's not your fault it's my fault for not defining it um there was a point at which because i i I, i've recovered from an eating disorder myself and because i came from the fitness industry um, and i had all of this kind of skill and ability to help people with habit change um I ended up helping probably over a hundred people with eating disorders a couple of years back. And at that point, my business coach was like, you need to just become the eating disorder coach. And I was like, no, I was like, I don't want to work on just that one thing. Um, It was never weirdly supposed to be mental health. It was, that's why it's called mindset by Dave and not mental health by Dave, but more often than not. Now what I, what I do is I help people with different ways to think different ways to, Look at anxiety, or to look at depression, to look at their own stress relief. Stress relief, is probably the mo- one of the most common ones I com- that people come to me. Low self esteem being another one that people come to me with. And um, as I say, I don't, I don't do the same as what a therapist does. But what we do is we look at, we look at maybe the language the person's talking, and we look at maybe what the person's tried so far. One of the big things that we, I, I always try and get to, is with current behaviors, what is the positive of that current behavior so if someone is drinking smoking doing drugs you know addicted to porn whatever it might be we look for what's the positive of that behavior as in what does that give them in a positive way so rather than saying why are you doing this you know and like or what are you doing that for like you know the common kind of like things that if someone turns up to, like and they, they tell their friends that they're doing drugs and all their friends are staunch anti-drug users you know it's like they would be like what are you doing that for you such a little and it's like we 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 take shame out of the equation entirely, and we start with, what's the positive? Um, most of these behaviors are something that I call a boomerang, so a boomerang being something that goes forward only to come back, so it gives you a positive in the short term. Um, if someone's a people pleaser, that can be a boomerang, you know, that they give, the, you know, boundaries, you don't want to test the boundaries with somebody. Um, so there's a lot of these different things, and it's essentially just habit change and behavior change is the primary thing um so it's I'm not there trying to cure or fix anybody it's like you know I don't I don't even believe in terms of a a a overall fix or cure for mental health I believe that it's something that can be managed I hope one day it does get a cure um and I think that'll probably come from you know ways to interact with the brain (laughs) um directly but but, but that's what, what I do is we just, we just, we talk about things. I help people realize where things might've come from. Um, I help them to think about things in a different way. And yeah, the big, the big thing I I help people with is habit change, whether that is helping them to overcome the, the habits of an eating disorder, whether that is helping a person quit drinking, quit smoking, um, or whether that's just get helping a person get more organized. And, um, you know, for example, I've got one client that I work on on two levels where I work on his um, I work on him he's on he's on a weight loss journey but I'm, I'm working on it from the mindset point of view I'm not I'm not giving him any of the training side of things I'm just working on him from the habit change and the other side of it he's also runs a business so we're working on the kind of how to be a more effective business runner at the same time so as I say it's it's an annoyingly difficult question to answer because I work on just about anything where you might want to try and get an outsider's perspective a different way of looking at things um a way of looking at things where I'm removed from the emotion of the situation as well so I'm able to be um a little bit more logical or see things that maybe the person can't who's kind of well as one of my um, friends accuses me of doing when it's dealing with my own problems looking at a mountain with a magnifying glass
0: and so it's so varied like all the different things you do so if someone was coming to you with with stress or maybe like low self-esteem what are a few maybe a few little tips you could share with us that might help people okay maybe so, maybe the... so because because we want them to come to you
1: <laughs> well I've I've run what I call the world's worst business model which is actually if you want ha- practically everything I'm going to say to people's online somewhere <laughs> it's like <laughs> I've made if, if something comes up as a common problem I'll make a video of it you know like I'll put it on YouTube because I aim to be complete. I, may- I aim to make myself obsolete. That's that's what I'd love. um You know, okay, that you know that might not be too happy for the wife because that might not, you know, help us go on holidays or whatever. I'll keep a roof over our head, but I'll find something else to do if that ever happens. I mean, first of all, there's seven billion people on the planet, so I think uh you know if I made myself completely obsolete to all of them, that'd be amazing. But yeah, the biggest the biggest one for stress. Um, I call it the takeout menu, and it's not an actual, like, you know, it's not abracadabra's menu, like, you just go and have a takeout, and that deals with your stress, because, hey, that's how I started dealing with my stress when I was a teenager. But um, I call it the takeout menu, which is I get people to write a list of things that are for stress relief, like, and now I get them to write their own list, so I'll, I make occasional suggestions, but basically you know we've all seen it where people say have you tried fishing or have you tried getting to bed have you tried mindfulness and it's like when you say have you tried have you tried "Have you tried?" it's like people people shut off shut off so I say look I want you to sit down and think about things that you enjoy doing think about things that relieve stress for you and um, I want you to write a list and I want it to be as many different ideas like like a brainstorming session make as many different ideas as you can think of and the reason we call it the takeout menu is because I don't want you to think of it as a to-do list. I don't want you to think, okay, I've got, uh, you know, normally what I do to de-stress is I have a few cheeky GNTs, and that my brain's primed to want that. So when I hit that stress point, I go and look at my stress, my takeout menu, and there's 30 items on there. And I've got to do every single one of them before I'm de-stressed. It's like, no, thanks. I think I'll just go back to the GNT, and And um, I don't want that. What So what we do is we look, we call it the takeout menu because when you have a takeout menu, um, you look at like you know there could be thirty different combinations of food on that takeout menu. You know there could be like on a, you know on the Chinese by ours. There's probably I think about 120 different dishes on it, which is great. Um, apart from if you you, know, you you can't decide, and you don't think to yourself, "I've got to do all of them before I've had my dinner." You just go, well, "What do I fancy?" Well, I'll have the uh, I'll have the egg foo young and you know i'll have some cantonese chicken and you put a little combo together and away you go and it's it's you know it's not a stressful experience it's not like with the take-up menu you think you've got it sorry with the to-do list you feel you've got to do everything yeah and when i when when people do that i encourage them to kind of get curious as well because we get curiosity beating out of us as kids you know curiosity killed the cat it's like one day curiosity is going to cure cancer someone's curiosity is going to well many people's curiosity is going to lead to the cure for cancer every innovation that we've had in this world has come from curiosity but we get told curiosity is a bad thing so we don't try new things so it's like when when we do say have you tried meditation and people just go not that again and if you actually just sit down and go but have you though? And they'll be like, yeah, I tried it once. I did headspace once and it didn't work. Yeah. Well I sat down at the piano when I was six years old and it, I couldn't play Mozart on the first go either. You know, it's like, it's, we don't, we don't persevere with some things sometimes. Um, but that's the main thing is that it can be different for you. And for me, what, what stress relief is. So there's no way for me to sit there and say, then we should all do this. Like, as I said, we've got exercise before. I feel we probably should all move as much as we're able to, you know, and um, I think, but I think that that varies from individual to individual and that there needs to be that in terms of your mental health as well. It's not a one size fits all. So that's for stresses that you'd have this list because then when you, when your mind is in that stress position, you then have that list of go-to absolute bonus points. If you go to the list before you need it, like stress relief before you need it, rest before you need it. Like you know, relief from burnout before you need it. I say treat your mental health care like you would a multivitamin rather than painkillers. You know, mm-hmm. we only ever take pain, we take multivitamins as an insurance policy to reduce the chances of getting sick. We um we take we take painkillers once we're already in pain. When it comes to self-esteem, um the biggest the biggest clue and the biggest piece of advice for there is literally in the name because we look for everyone else to give us self-esteem. We look to our family, our parents, our older siblings our best friends, the cool kids in school, the teachers, um, you know, then when we're a little bit older our boyfriends, girlfriends, partners. It's like, we look to all of these people to validate us and it never, it's never, ever, ever going to work because it's called self-esteem. It's down to what you think about you. Also know that what you think about you um, this, I, think I think the guy's name was Thomas J. Cooley. It's definitely is the surname. I might not I might not get his first name right, but it's called The Looking Glass Effect, if anyone wants to look it up. And it was a quote from the early 1900s about basically saying, I am not what I think I am, and I am not what you think I am. I am what I think you think I am. So yeah, there we go. I've, I've, I saw it go in your eyes, then it's fine. So whilst we're sat here, I can see you. Obviously, the people listening can't see either of us, but I can see you while we're doing this when we're talking to somebody, we're imagining what we think they think about us. We're like, we're looking at their expressions and then and taking that as a, well, you know, this is what they think about me. We're like constantly microanalyzing analyzing their body language and stuff. And it's like, the biggest question I'd say is, um, what does it mean to be enough? What, like, what do you think you need to do in order to be enough? And um, people will give me long lists about what it needs to be enough. And usually that's down to what their parents wanted them to be when they were younger. You know, I said before, I'm, I'm a terrible people pleaser. And yet that came from the fact that my parents, when I was younger, for completely different reasons on both sides, needed me out of the way. You know, my dad needed me out of the way because, he just <laughs> I don't know, he just kept on going go to sleep whenever I was around there and I was not allowed to make noise because it would wake him up. Whereas my mum was running her own business to keep the roof over her head because my dad had left. And, and and you know, it was like, it was always, I, I needed to be out of the way and I needed to, like, when I was around, I needed to be useful to people. So that was where I thought my value was, you know. Now, it's only when, like, then you basically flip that question around and say, right, well, pick the person that you love the most in the world. This is especially potent on parents because, you know, they love their kids unconditionally usually. Like And think about that person, could be a best friend, could be a partner, whatever it is, and ask what do they need to do in order to be good enough in your eyes. And nine times out of 10, personal person will turn around to you and say, well, they just are. It's like, right, so why is the list all the way up here about what you need to do in order to be good enough? when the list is all the way down here about what someone else needs to do in order to be good enough. It's like, it's not fair. Again, don't compare unless it's fair, right? We have to jump through every hoop on the face of the planet. And if we fail one of those steps, like with the to-do list, if we've missed one thing off the to-do list, then it's not done. It's um, if you think that you need to be the best business person and the best partner and the best parent and the best friend, all of these things at the same time and then on one and on, a, on any given day you're probably not on top of your game on all of those things and that's fine. but we'll see ourselves as a failure and therefore we'll feel like we're worth less uh, you know than we are. and your value' this is the great expression I like to use for this is that your mental health may fluctuate but your value never does. You know, your usefulness to people around you may fluctuate, but your value as a person never does.
0: Wow. That was why like that's left me like silent, which is rare (laughs) for me. They're they're, they're (laughs) such good tools and things I had never thought of in terms of like the self-esteem and things like that. That's really interesting yeah with the self-esteem
1: one I the day I I recognized it realized it I'm like hang on a minute it's called self-esteem because I'd been I just this was this was only a few years ago for me I had I had the the world's biggest daddy issues like let's let's just say it how it was you know my dad never gave me any attention or any validation whatsoever when I was younger Then he died when I was 19 so by the time I was kind of an adult and doing things I never got to find out if he was proud of who I become or anything like that. so I sought out like a lot of male coaches like uh, basically um, And I would always do anything to like get that well done, you know. And especially when I first became mindset by Dave, and I was doing public talks. When the applause was there, it was great. But then I'd get on the train on the way home, and I'd be like, "There's like three hours of me left alone with my own thoughts, feeling like I'm worthless now that the lights have gone off, and feel like I'm worthless now that there's not an actual round of applause actually happening." And I was desperately waiting to get out there and go and talk again. And when we rely on our self-esteem to come for everybody else, it's like a short-lived drug. You know, it's it's a mm. compliment, nice, but it doesn't it doesn't fix our self-esteem. It's how we talk to ourselves, how we how we think about ourselves. And I know it's a cliche, and um, people have heard it a million times, but that doesn't mean people act on it. Which is speak to yourself like you would a friend. You know, if a friend comes to you yeah. and says, "Oh, I'm really okay. struggling. Why can't I do this?" You'd say, "Of course you can do it. Keep on trying." You you know, if a pers- if a friend came to you and says, "What's wrong with me?" you'd be like, there's nothing wrong with you. You're amazing. You're a good friend. You know, you're, you're a good partner. You're a good mom. You're a, you know, you're great at your job. You'd big that person up. Whereas if we ask ourselves, what's wrong with me? We just berate ourselves from within with a list of everything bad we've ever thought about ourselves or everything bad that we've ever heard about ourselves. Or even as I said before, everything bad that we think other people are thinking, even if we've never got any proof of it.
0: Yeah. I think that's true as well. When you come Into a room, maybe, and you've not met people, you're thinking, Oh, what are they going to think of my hair like that? What are they? And you, 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 when realistically, they're probably not even looking at you in such like fine detail. What about would you say self confidence is the same as self esteem? Then,
1: um, I would say self esteem. (laughs) <laughs> this, is to, this, this is an analogy I'm making up on the spot. Let's see if it works. Because I often refer to your self-esteem as like your bank balance, right? In terms of uh, your bank balance of self-esteem. So you've got your overdraft, which is usually we're all in negative self-esteem. And we've been chipping away, telling ourselves that we suck or we, we're a loser or whatever it might be our entire lives. So every time we've been saying something like that to ourselves, we've put ourselves further and further into the overdraft. Um, and as I, I say to people, look, it's all well and good. Some dude on the internet coming along and saying, you are a enough you're you've just got to love yourself that's great but how do we actually do it well we start doing it by saying nice things to ourselves being kinder and more compassionate to ourselves and um, and then that starts building up from there i would say so the, to follow on with that analogy self-esteem is your bank balance self-confidence is what you do with it And there are people out there that have got high self-esteem and are able to go out there and be naturally appear confident. And then there are also people out there that are definitely borrowing on credit cards and faking it till you make it, you know, it's like that because we can do confidence without self-esteem. No one would have believed that I didn't have self-esteem at first. Like when I, when I first started speaking, I was, I I waited until about four minutes before the end of my, my very first talk to say, would anyone in this room believe that that was my first talk? Cause I knew in my head that I'd done better than I was expecting so I'm like no one's gonna and that's the thing is that what we don't often see we always what we see is what's within us so we know what's there uh, you know for example we, we talked offline at the beginning about the radio interview I did last week I know that wasn't that wasn't my best interview I know but I know what I'm capable of so whereas you know someone else listening to it might have thought that was really good I know I've got the comparisons. I know how I was feeling at that time because I was, as I said to you earlier, and I didn't say that. Actually, I did say this on the radio thing. I was in a depressive episode when I gave that. It was one of only two things that I ended up doing last week um, because I just didn't want to kind of miss out on the opportunity. But, but yeah, so I knew how I was feeling at that point, whereas it wasn't obvious to the people I was, you know, to the host Mm. and the people I was speaking to. And that's really, that's really common because when we see somebody else, like you know borrowing on the bank balance of that credit card and like and 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 using that self that that's what appears to be self-confidence we assume that there's self-esteem underneath um and we assume that they're not like the best i think the the classic analogy of it's like a swan gliding gracefully across the top of the water but kicking its feet frantically underneath that was me for a lot of time and um and I, so i think you can i think you can you can model confidence and you can I don't want to say fake it because the thing about it, when you say fake it till you make it, if I once I got over the first hurdle of speaking, the confidence was real. I wasn't faking it anymore. You know, it was like I had to kind of, and it's because because confidence and anxiety and worry and all these things work work on. Am I am I still there? Can you hear yeah. me? Sorry. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought, I thought I thought you were checking the headphones. Um, but yeah, like it works on a feedback loop. So if if I if I'm unconfident and I'm speaking to a room. I'll talk faster and I'll make more mistakes and then the people in the room will like look at me funny and then I'll read that and then that'll make me more nervous mm. and it'll make it worse. When yeah. in reality if I breathe take it slow and get over that first hurdle then I see the people in the room kind of nodding along and kind of you know and and engaging with what I'm saying and then that makes me gives me the confidence to to slow down and go even and you know own the room a little bit more but um oh, there was what was about it i, I was yeah when, when we got cut off i was um i was saying that i think one of the big reasons that we that low self-esteem um is so rife is the fact that going back to like you know things we were taught when we were kids one being that curiosity thing the other one is that we're told not to show off you no know, not to brag not to boast you know and that i think i understand why parents want us to do that i'm a parent myself you know i don't want my kids to be braggadocious you know I don't want them being all like because they've got more than I had when I was when I was a kid so I I didn't actually have anything to show off with but um I don't want them being like that but at the same time I want them to be confident in their own abilities but we say when we say to people I don't show off like what we instead of like kind of realizing that there's a whole continuum between showing off and Mm self-deprecation We just go straight from, well, if I don't show off, then I need to put myself down because that's Mm. the opposite. So I need to do the opposite. It's like, no, no, it's just like, first of all, show off to yourself. That's quite, I, I quite like kind of like having that little moment to myself. Like I, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably objective on this, you know, like, in fact, that's a reasonably as, as objective as you can be on yourself. But as I said, I came off that radio show last week and I was like, that wasn't my best work. Whereas like, if I come off an, ep- an interview or if I come off one of my live streams, um, or a call with a client, if I feel that has gone really well, I'll be like, I'm really proud of it. I, You know, I'll either say I'm really proud of how I did that time, or actually if I'm, if I struggled in that particular call, which I'll, I'll say, you know, I'm proud of myself for turning up. I'm proud of myself for like keeping on trying because, because that's, you know, we've, I, I spent so many years putting myself down and being, I think, you know, I think humility is a great, a great thing. I think, you know, I think kind of like being, understated I think in your abilities to a degree is is a really admirable thing but I think again people tend to go so much further than that and just like oh I'm rubbish I'm terrible I'm I'm not good. you know it was like it was one of my friends that was the first one that said to me oh I think you're going to be a motivational speaker one day and I I remember literally saying to him oh, why would anybody ever listen to me mm. and now you know it's like it's like and now a few people do and that was weird at first um but it's like it's one of those things that I think, again, I've been like, right, well, maybe I'm good at this mate. Like I had to take that at first. And like, I'm, I'm really proud of how I perform there or how could this be better next time rather than what was wrong with that, you know, like different, slightly different ways in talking to yourself to try and encourage yourself to grow rather mm. than to put yourself down.
0: And then in terms of sort of overthinking, that's something that I think lends itself as well with comparing in comparison
1: yeah
0: that is a habit as well um like I used to be quite a bad overthinker but I seemed to just it I said for me it was sort of I don't want to say a phase but I, I kind of grew <laughs> out of on like one day it just kind of hit me like my thoughts changed and you know that the whole thoughts aren't facts that sentence yeah. was hopeful so what if people are really badly overthinking in terms of as well like <clears throat> excuse me their self-esteem so if they were if they walked into the room and they're like overthinking that person's looking at me oh what's that person thinking or oh, what if they think this you see what i mean what What about that yeah
1: yeah absolutely um i mean the thing is the the the, the best thing about overthinking is is second, like you know the when people say don't overthink it um it's like thanks i'm fixed now you know it's like it's like um, yeah
0: don't don't worry about it oh well don't worry about it
1: yeah well well, anytime anytime we say don't with something people here do people here do don't touch wet paint and then we all want to stroke the wall you know (laughs) if i say to someone don't think about a purple elephant you're already there so and um, that's the funniest thing about, like, I was t- I was trying to teach this about to so, so a group about meditation last week is like that when people say, clear your mind, you have to think about whether your mind's clear or not to try and clear your mind. And as a result, your mind's full. It's yeah. like, so you can't, you can't escape those thoughts. The way I describe it is that you can't, you can't switch your brain off. Your brain's like a TV that you can't switch off, but you can change the channel. And I'm going to guess, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that um, when you you got better at just acting rather than overthinking it like you know so we started doing more and um, that was the, that was uh, that was a similar sort of moment for me is the fact that about four or five years ago i i grew up again the, all these phrases that we grow up on like like the cat the one that i grew up on knowledge is power so i used to love i used to love reading stuff listening to podcasts and I'd absorb I'd absorb 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 and do literally nothing with this knowledge and it was only like and I was listening to this podcast ages ago probably actually no, it was probably about seven years ago now because it was right at the beginning of when I was a personal trainer and um, it said schedule time for implementation mm-hmm. and what I, and I'm like implementation what do they mean by that they mean t- uh, and then they carried on and I'm like they meant they basically said the things that you've learned schedule time to do something with them and what I found was I'd sit there and read and research and absolutely everything. And I do absolutely nothing with that knowledge. And then I started basically implementing it. So that was why that was how, what where a lot of my early blog posts came from was the fact that, okay, I've just learned something. I'm going to, I'm going to you know, I'm going to then talk about this. And it was like, I'm going to write a blog post about it. I'm going to do a video about it. You know, if, if, if I, literally now whenever i make realizations in my own mental health journey i go and share them with people like straight away like sometimes whilst i'm in the middle of it i call it um i call it partially cooked chicken you know sometimes for my thoughts to kind of be fully cooked i need to other people first if they're rattling around in my head sometimes they don't get away through but yeah there's definitely thought patterns can be extremely habitual there are there's certain conditions that can make that much more difficult OCD for example like people think what people think of OCD as is you know my desk's so tidy when in reality that person's got intrusive thoughts in their head like almost even sometimes two sets of intrusive thoughts in their head like constantly all throughout the day um so it's the it, there's and there's you know anxiety will lead you to overthink a lot more depression will lead you to overthink a lot more basically anxiety leads you to overthink about what could go wrong and um, mm. depression will lead you to ruminate on what has gone wrong generally speaking both of them can go the other way as well but the majority of the time that's the way it works and that's it. it's like we we need to like look at those thoughts and the, the way that we we will often assume the worst as well. So we, um, the best one I like to explain this to people with is the difference between the house phone and the mobile phone. You know, when we had the house phone and just the house phone, we'd phone a friend, they wouldn't answer, and we'd assume that they were out or they were busy. And then when it moves to the mobile phone, we phone a friend and they don't answer, and we assume that they're screening us or they hate us or they don't want to speak to us. And, um, and that's just one little piece of extra information has made us, goes to a completely different conclusion. But that completely different conclusion affects everything. So in that situation, let's say it's a Friday night and you've just finished school, you phone your friend, they don't answer, and then you put the phone down, you forget that you've even phoned them and you go and watch Coronation Street get on with your weekend and then you see them in school on Monday or in work on Monday or whatever, and and away you go, carry on with your friendship, no harm, no foul, no problem. Now, if you phone that friend on a Friday night on the mobile um, and they don't answer, it's like, okay, instead of going on, putting that phone down and going on with what you want to do, you're, you're looking at it every few minutes to see whether the phone back, maybe I missed the notification. Then actually you go over to WhatsApp and you send them a message saying, oh, I'm trying to get hold of you. Give us a shout when you're free and you get the one gray tick, the two gray ticks, the two blue ticks. And now with that extra piece of information, you now know that the person has seen it. So you're definitely ready for a reply now and the reply doesn't come. And, um, and then basically you were you you carry on with like the whole like thinking that the person's now ignoring you even more and I, I was watching the new series of sex ed last night and there's a there's an, there's an absolute perfect representation on this. And I don't think it's a sex ed spoiler. I'm trying to avoid them like the plague right now. But literally two of the characters in that, one of them texts saying, I'm missing you. And the other one's just gone into a situation with his family, like where he's, he was texting away. And then the family are all around him. And then like, like they're all, they've not seen each other for ages and all of that stuff. And now he's not, he's not able to text back. It's so, and, it's, and, and the other person, it shows the person at the other end, like who sat there just feeling that like they've not got a reply, but they've got the two blue ticks. So they know that they've seen it and they've said, I miss you. And they've not replied back. And mm. the ty- like and it, this is such a perfect example of how one of those characters will have just cracked on, was just getting up, was probably swept away by the moment and everything with, with his family. And the other one's back at home thinking that like, thinking he's being ignored thinking that he's being neglected and it's such i'm like i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna make a video on it because i've talked about this principle forever and then and then sex said literally what and something that's actually topical has just put the exact principle in there and we do we tend to think the worst so what one of the big things that i learned was to try and assume the best you know if someone is if if you get caught up in traffic instead of assuming that there's a bunch of beeps on the road, you know, there's a bunch of idiots on the road or whatever, I kind of just go, well, that person's obviously in a rush. I hope that what they're trying to get to is not serious. You know, that person could be trying to get home for a, for a for a relative or they could have just had a really bad day in the office and they're trying to get away from it or whatever it might be. Try and assume the best about what the person is there. And the thing is, this doesn't change what is objectively true, but it changes what you think about it. Mm-hmm. And it certainly changes how you feel about it. If you go back to that mobile situation, if you were to assume, if you were to assume like that, the person that you've texted on a Friday night is you know hate you and you spend the entire rest of the weekend assuming that you're going to feel terrible for the rest of the weekend and chances are they don't whereas if you actually send spend the rest of that you 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 go oh they must be busy i'm sure they'll get back to me at some point and you go back and get on with your life you'll have the rest of your weekend enjoying it you may have you may even forget the fact that um you may even forget the fact that he's um that they've not texted you back or whatever and this is the thing is that we can't actively forget as I said we can't we can't choose to forget something because the second we try and choose to forget it we've got to think about it which means we remember it so so what we have to do is we can't switch it off but we can change the channel so if you do find yourself overthinking either act upon those thoughts if it is safe to do so you know spoil what was going to say <laughs> um, sign a waiver but um I'm trying to think what it's what it's called <laughs> misinformation or whatever but um Either act on that and um and that you know completes what the thought process is or deliberately think about something else. A little mm-hmm. bit like when a when a when a you know crappy song gets stuck in your head is that you know you were, the best way to get rid of it isn't to sit there and wish for getting rid of it because it just makes it get in there further. Yeah. The best way to get rid of it is to sing something else or to do something else, you know, distraction. Mm. Yeah,
0: and I think that's really interesting what you were saying about like changing the channel you know I've heard things when you sort of got thoughts and it's like on a train and you just let them go you don't have to jump on the thoughts and and or if they're just floating down a river you know like the the mindfulness techniques um so other than mindset by Dave you partnered with Sam Tara from Change Talks who we've had on the podcast for the mental health family hour in, in lockdown. Talk, yeah. talk me through sort of how you met Sam and, and what the mental health <laughs> family hour was about.
1: I love the story of how I met Sam, especially when we teach it in schools, because we teach in schools like internet safety and stuff. And how I met Sam was sliding into his DMs on Instagram. Um, but yeah, so about four years ago, I was looking through the mental health hashtag um, to to fat on on Instagram to find other accounts to kind of work maybe work with and collaborate with, and I found one that was in Lancashire, which you know I'm in Lancashire as well. I'm originally from Liverpool, which people might be able to tell from my accent, but I'm, I'm in West Lancs now, and um, and I found someone from Lancashire, and it was this thing called Change Talks, and this I'd been. I'd been a public speaker for about a year at this point, and I was just looking for more opportunities to speak. But I wasn't so brazen as to basically message him and say, "Hey, I see you were putting an event on. Let me come and speak at it." I wasn't there. Um, <laughs> so I basically sent him a message saying, I was like, "You know, looks like you're putting some events on um I really want to help you with this. I think this is you know, I I feel, I feel there's not a lot, not enough support for independent people that are doing mental health work out there. Um, And quite often people want to work on their own projects and, not collaborate i'm a big fan in collaboration over competition Mm. and um, so i messaged him and i said look i will i will do whatever you need i said if you want me to go and hand out flyers i will do this if you want me to um if you want me to go and um help like elderly people into their seats at the event that's what i'll do and um and he messaged me back and said you know oh should we just meet for a coffee and um so we met we met in a for a coffee in a place called the chocolate rooms in tarleton which is sadly no longer there because oh. it, amaz- it was amazing although yeah. the person who owned it does now run a chocolate shop in cedar farm in mortley but um oh. but you, i know but the, the
0: chocolate shop you mean as well the cedar yeah shop.
1: so you have to go there and you have to get robertson co coffee and then you go to chocamore for the uh or chocamon i can never remember i think his name's eamon um so, but um but yeah very good. So we went there I had a nice coffee with some chocolate <laughs> and um, and we sat and we had a chat for forever like and he told me his story um about why he got into change talks how, you know and I told him the story about why I got into you know what I do and and then and he was like let's do a podcast together because I, you know, I well I think I might have asked him on the podcast originally because I've I had I've had a podcast for four years now and um, so I was like let's do a podcast so so he came over to mine, and we did a podcast. Just got on like a house on fire, basically. And one of them, as I said before, I actually know I didn't say. I was going to say one of my big things. I was where a lot of my mental health issues started. Is I was bullied in high school. Like as soon as I as soon as I went from primary school to high school, bullying pretty much started uh, and got really intense up until year year until year eleven. Um can I just um, say, I
0: can't. Sometimes, like I'm so I'm twenty three now. And, like, sometimes, like, you see or, like, you hear of things in high schools and it just so frustrates me. Like, it really annoys me. Like, young people, yeah, they're a great thing. But high school people sometimes are just little, little terrors. Like, (laughs) they just need, like, like, oh, someone's got a long skirt on at school. Oh, let's bully them. No, they've just got a long skirt on because they're a bit small and not great. Like, Oh, it really annoys me. And then it's like, oh, oh, they've got, like, glasses. Oh, so what? Like, so annoying. They just need to grow up, but obviously they're growing up. But (laughs) it really annoys me. If you could just shout at them and be like, why are you...
1: No, oh, yeah. it's it's um so yeah Definitely. so I I was I was bullied. Well, one of my, one of the things was for my glasses. I don't I've had laser eye surgery since because the bullies forced me. To, no, they didn't force me to do it. Um, mm-hmm. but um, but yeah, so I was bullied for I was bullied for standing up and knowing the answers to questions. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, always been like obsessed with stuff like like literally if you give me homework I was doing it I was doing like I was delving further into it and like if if in the maths test they were like (laughs) figure this out to the to the nearest two decimal places if I had extra time it's like there it is to 16 um you know and that was that that was not that was very much frowned upon in my school you know like is that I knew the answers to questions so that was the first thing I was bullied over then I developed an eating disorder then I put on a load of weight and got bullied over my weight so um but that was and, and then obviously change talks at the time was um, it was doing events for the general public. But the primary thing is it was doing talks in schools. And Sam goes to me, um, would you like to come and do a talk in a school with me? And as I even with my own kids, like I would not gone back into school, you know, I'd like I'd, I'd taken them to school and dropped them off and stuff. But I'd not gone back into school and stood in a class full of you know, kids at this point. Yeah. And I'm have perfectly honest. I was I was intimidated by it because the last time I stood in front of a bunch of kids and had answers for things, uh, I got bullied by them. And as a 35 year old man, I think I was at that time 30, 34 year old man. I was still um, I was a bit nervous, and I was like, I'm terrified. So obviously, I'm in. So I said yes, and um, and then I went and did this, the school talk, and I loved it. Like I I thought I like, I thought the opportunity to speak to kids is um, I mean, obviously there's so many adults that do need the help and do need to know all the stuff that we talk about with mental health, but the opportunity to speak to kids for me is a, is a kind of, it's a, almost an obsessive point now as the fact that it's preventative mental health. You know, if you can mm. teach kids about anxiety and stress and depression at that age and teach them about coping strategies for themselves and then teach them how to reach out for help and then, um, and so on, it's, 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 you know, it's perfect, but, um, but one of the things we realized through that was the fact that um, they, we, the, some of the greatest sessions we did, because I ended up doing like six um five schools a term with him every half term. And, um, and basically, we found that the, the sessions that the teachers were in on, they were the ones we were getting some better feedback, because the teachers had like hear what we were talking about and then the, the, we'd get like feedback a few weeks later saying oh one of the kids came and had a conversation about this and I knew what they were talking about because I'd sat in on the session mm. and then we were, able, we were able to communicate with it and it was just it was great and um we were just we were just trying to find ways to make it bigger and better or like all the way along and then obviously COVID hit and like Sam Sam phoned me up and said what can we do like what can we do about this COVID thing and I said well we can stream it so we can we can put it live on the internet and we can you know we can send the invites to, to schools and or, or to parents and because of it because of that situation with um with the parents or the teachers being in on the sessions it's doing so much better i was like what if we instead of teaching it to kids like we do just in schools what if we aimed it called it the family hour and we made it about how to how to communicate mm. so we're, 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 te- we're teaching it both from an adult point of view and from a teenage point of view at the same time and opening the sort of the lines of communication and um and basically yeah so that was the idea we went with and we did I think there was about 10 episodes of just me and Sam where we basically did a full a full subject each week so we did a week in on anxiety we did a week on depression a week on communication which I it's a very underrated episode but I think it's the most I think it's the most important one because how we talk about our mental health and how we communicate about it is underneath every single part of it and um, we did one on stress and coping strategies and uh, we did one on I think we did a bullying one we did an eating disorders one and then um and then basically the trust that Sam worked for um base- wanted wanted us to do more of it. So they started getting us guests and started getting guests from within like NHS and within public health england and stuff. So we did. Um, I think we've done approximately about 30 of them in total now and we're doing um, we're doing a bonus episode in five hours um, in in six hours so we're doing a bonus episode tonight specifically for um, it's not streaming live though this one we're doing it from for World Mental Health Day and we're releasing it on World Mental Health Day so which is the 10th of October I believe and um, we're doing it on eating disorders with um, with a with a eating disorder lived experience specialist called hope virgo and um and a few other people that work within eating disorders because that's actually currently one of the biggest challenges facing facing kids within school right now which has really increased during lockdown so all of that came from the idea of how can we help further and um well, obviously the, we were very very pleased that last year in november we won a points of light award off the prime minister so for working mental health which was uh you know which was quite nice and now i now subcontract um, a day a week for sam um i work for change talks and well for the trust um a day a week where we basically put together combinations of content to go directly to individuals like that um and the other thing that we're actually currently working on is um something called a train the trainer model so we've been um we've been tasked with the the amazing challenge well it's not it's not I say challenge it's my part of it's done now actually but we're just refining it to write a syllabus to be taught in schools across Lancashire and South Cumbria um which we delivered to the first group of teachers on Monday so it's a How it's a very there? amazing <laughs> like re, like yeah so good um it was just great feedback from the teachers um because we're, we're currently in the stage where we want them to kind of I, I actually want them to rip it apart a little bit more really because we're trying to we're trying to kind of make sure it's really really robust but the the full model it's got five modules in from from me and Sam and then we've got people like um, uh, ah what are they call big deal they um, we've got like talking about gambling we've got things talking about sexual health we've got things in there talking about um grooming we've got um safeguarding we've got all sorts of stuff going in there from other additional contributors and then the the mindset by dave's side of things is we're talking about um eating disorders stress and coping strategies anxiety depression Uh, and then we've got communication and self-esteem but they're in a ridiculously this was one of the benefits of this whole hyper focus thing is a ridiculously detailed handbook that I've, that I've that i've written for it as well so i'm really proud of it like really proud of what we're doing it's uh it's gonna get better as it goes as well so given the fact that it's in its very very early stage right now i'm i'm really happy with the level and the standard that it's at so hoping that with a bit of feedback from the teachers that we're doing and start working with and stuff and then when we get to see them start delivering the the sessions as well it's a it's a very exciting time it's mental health it's like you know it's it's you often feel like you're just kind of a dam holding back the flood like everyone and you know there's all of us are standing together trying to kind of keep it at bay right now um so we're hoping that this is going to be a very kind of positive proactive thing where across um across at least south uh, Lancashire and south cumbria for now but there's talk of taking it national that we're getting mental health taught in schools so yeah it's exciting
0: It is exciting. And it's amazing as well what you're doing. So you're very inspirational. And you've been very open (laughs) and honest. So thanks for that. If people want to get in touch with you, they want to watch the mental health family hour or just talk about the services you offer. How's best to access all of that?
1: Yeah. So but I am Mindset by Dave, absolutely everywhere. So um, that makes it quite easy for me to find. And so that ranges from the two big areas that I suggest people to go for like, is one's called Twitch. A lot of listeners aren't familiar with it. It's not a very, it's not a hugely well-known platform, but it's, um, it's a live streaming platform. So I live stream on the i never got the number of this right. It's about nine hours a week. So I do four hours on a Tuesday, two hours on a Thursday and three hours on a Friday. And basically we it's an open forum discussion about mental health. So people can come in, talk about what's going on. We can, so it's it's essentially kind of like the Mindset by Dave effect, but for free. <laughs> and I, I love answering questions on there. I actually prefer it when there's questions coming in. Um, YouTube slash Mindset by Dave um, is where you can find sort of shorter videos on there in terms of like you know here's here's some information about depression here's some inf- and all of the previous episodes of the mental health family hour are on there as well in a nice mm-hmm. easy playlist um and the new episode will the new episode that we're, talking, we're doing on this Wednesday will be on there as well and um, when we do live stream a family hour that is now live streamed through YouTube because we needed to we needed to keep the the NHS version of mindset by Dave and the non-NHS version of mindset by Dave is separate because I do swear my little face off if, if the if if the mood um, you know if the mood comes across um, we do talk about all manner of everything completely and utterly uncensored on Twitch whereas on YouTube we uh, we follow the NHS guidelines a lot more closely <laughs> but um, but then it's the same on every other social media so Instagram Facebook TikTok Twitter. Um, I'm much more interactive on Twitter than any of the, than, than Facebook or Instagram. Um, so it just depends on where people oh, and even TikTok, uh, because you know you've got to be everywhere in order to get anywhere apparently these days I don't agree with that statement I just uh, try my best to to do that without burning out which again totally and utterly happens
0: <laughs> and website
1: Oh yeah that one um, that's, I've never updated but mindsetbydave.com
0: great well thanks so much for coming on today and chatting to me it's been really really insightful and really really interesting and a lot of helpful tips that i think people will really benefit from so thanks for coming on dave
1: it's been an absolute pleasure thanks for having me
0: thanks for listening and we'll see you next week keep up to date with all things from a Lancashire lass follow on facebook and instagram at from lass